Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. Uh, Brother Hoyt, um, believe it or not, they wanted to try and be here today, but he was not feeling well. He called me this morning. Um, Really need to pray for him. He called me, um, I called him a couple days ago, Friday, and uh, he just basically had told the doctors he, he does not want to go through with the surgery. He's just, he's tired, he's done, he's giving up. Uh, and they said, well, if you don't do it, you might die. He said, <laughs> um, he, he was just, that day he was ready for it. This morning he had changed his tune a little bit. And so um, he is going to go through with the surgery, uh, though that, that might be more of a family pressure type thing than anything else. Um, you just need to pray for him. It's a hard decision. i just being honest. If it was me, I wouldn't do it. Now, I haven't told him what to do. I gave him no opinion whatsoever. It's between him and his family to, to figure out and him and the Lord to figure out. Uh, but, I mean, you want to open me up and do surgeries in my 80s? And, and I just, yeah. I, I don't. You know, we met a man once that had to have open heart surgery. They had to open his entire chest. And, man, I, I, men who go through that or people who go through that, that's, that's rough. So, um, I don't know if I would. Is that what they're going to do? No, it's still, I don't believe so. I don't think it's that intrusive. But he is, he's tired, he's worn out. He really doesn't want to go through any more surgeries. Um, he's got to make some decisions about Miss Kathleen, where they're going to stay, continue to stay, what's in the future. Um, now he said he and his family have been talking about those things. And, and so... Uh, I told him if I can help, let me know. But otherwise, you know, those are hard. Those are very personal decisions that need to be made between him and his family. And um, just pray for him. I don't want him to be discouraged and, and to feel defeated. He's just tired. And they've really been through a lot the past two or three months. And so uh, they sure could use your prayer for comfort and, and uh, maybe to have a little break between some <laughs> some of these these issues. So... Pray for him. Keep him continually in prayer. Keep Miss Kathleen continually in prayer. Um, they are home for now. I mean, they, they have had to go back to the hospital a few times because of certain episodes, but uh, they are home right now, and, and um, I think his, the, their daughters are coming to see them fairly regularly and spend some time with them. So um, just pray for them. Actually, and, and today, if possible, I may take them some lunch. So if you don't mind making a plate for them. Um, Blake and Haley will be here February 4th. That is next Sunday. Uh, They're going to come in on Saturday and stay at the Holiday Inn, and then they'll probably be in town until Monday or Tuesday before they they head back out. Uh, But they'll be here Sunday. He's going to preach for us Sunday morning and Sunday evening, and uh, they'll they'll be doing some singing and and stuff for us. And um, Sunday morning, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. So uh, if you're going to want to be a part of that, make sure you're here for Sunday school. Um, that's, that's the hour when we will do that. And then Sunday morning, Sunday evening, we'll be with Brother Blake and Miss Haley. Uh, pray for them as they 
They have a small family. They're, you know, doing quite a bit of traveling, preaching, teaching. He goes on and off all these ships. He gets to preach the gospel to people from countries he would never get to go into and preach the gospel. Uh, but because they're coming here, he gets to go on their ships and preach the gospel to them right there on the ship, and people get saved. And he's had incredible events and things happen. It's, it's pretty, pretty interesting. Um, in March, we may have a, a man from Rock of Ages. I don't recall his name. Do you recall his name? Mark Waddington. Mark Waddington. He's on the board back there. Uh, he contacted us about coming to visit. So um, I'm going to call him today or tomorrow and see if he can make it in March. So, so if you pray about that and see if he can come next month and spend some time with us. Um, thank Brother Nathan for that fine preaching on Wednesday night. Now, I listened to it on the way home. It was, it was good. It was a blessing. And uh, I noticed that um, it was 22 minutes long and about 16 minutes of it was reading passages. <laughs> it, it, but, it ha- you know, I remember when I first started preaching, I would have seven pages of notes and preach through all seven pages in five minutes. And yeah. you still got 25 minutes left. It's like, oh, no, what am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> You know, you, you kind of get, as, as you do it more, you get into a flow and you get to settle in a little bit. And, and uh, no, I, I appreciate you doing that. It's a blessing. It's a good opportunity and experience. And, and uh, it's, a, it's a blessing to me to have somebody in-house who can do something like that for me when I, if I, as opportunity comes for us to preach out, which I don't foresee that being too much, but maybe occasionally. Jacob Rutledge will be coming May 5th. So the way things are laying out, February, we'll have Blake and Haley, March, possibly the brother from Rock of Ages, and then um, April, right now, nobody, and then May, Brother Jacob Rutledge will be here to preach for us. So it's exciting to have people come and hear the Word of God from different perspectives and, and all those good things. Of course, uh, I already mentioned it, but Lord's Supper will be um, in the Sunday school hour, Sunday the 4th, and then I don't know if I have mentioned a friend of mine um, his name is Richard Kilpatrick. He lives in Memphis. Um, we got to visit him while we were there. Uh, if you would, please pray for him and his wife, Paulette. Uh, this man has been in ministry for, my guess is 55 years at this point. He's in his late 70s, early 80s. Um, in 2006, maybe? Somewhere around there, 18 years ago, put it that way, whatever is 18 years ago. He kissed his wife goodbye one morning, and she set out to go ride her bike and somehow fell off the bike and hit her head on the concrete. And she has essentially been a vegetable from that day until now. And he promised God he would never leave her side, and he hasn't left her side for one second from that day until now, with no income, only a few donations coming in from people, help from the government. He, and his, he, he has been able to stay there and take care of his wife, who is alive on her own accord and has been, been that way for 18 years. She, she is a complete vegetable. And over time, over time, she has improved, which is incredible. She went from being completely non-responsive whatsoever to now she can hear you and somewhat respond when you're talking to her. And, um, and, and so he's, just, he's been a huge blessing to me. Uh, when I was a young man, uh, I got into a lot of trouble. And some of that trouble included um, some time with police officers. <laughs> and in order to get out of some of that trouble, they said, you need to go seek counseling immediately. And so my mom was involved, and, and um, uh, she started looking for a counselor to help me. I mean, that's a big task. <laughs> and somehow in South Haven, Mississippi, she found a Christian counselor named Richard Kilpatrick. And this was all the way back in 2005, maybe, somewhere around there. And um, I began seeing him, and this is the first time I ever sat down with somebody, and they would open the Bible and show me what the, what the Bible says about everyday life. And it just blew my mind. I, mean, I didn't, there were things that he would show me in the Bible. I had no idea the Bible even mentioned those things. 
And, and I was like, I didn't even know God cared about that stuff. I didn't know that was in there. I had no clue. And so he, he really gave me my introduction to um, biblical counseling and, um, and what the, what the, how, how the Bible is so applicable to everyday life and, and everything, everyday challenges and things that we face. And, um, and, and was, has been a huge help and a great friend to me ever since that time. And we've always stayed in touch over the years. And then eventually, so that's 2006. By 2010, I got saved. And he became like my, my right hand, you know, I, I would call him and talk to him about everything. I, I, would, I was traveling all over the world. I got saved in Saudi Arabia. I was bouncing around all over the place. But I would call him and talk to him about everything. And he was just a, a, a good friend and has been a, a huge help in my life. And so it was a blessing. He has not met our children. So he got to see Bethany and Adrian. And uh, he, he loves Kristen. So we got to spend some time with him and uh, Miss Paulette, his wife. And uh, he has a lady there who helps him. And uh, she's been a huge help to him for about 10 years or so now. I mean, may, maybe longer. Um, she just, she was kind of a, a nurse of some sort who came to, um, I think he initially hired her, and I, and I may be getting all the details wrong, but he initially hired her to help, and she fell in love with Paulette and what he was doing and his dedication to his wife and wanted to stay there and, and be more of a help. Uh, but they're both getting old. He's very old. His shoulders are gone. Um, you know, he's struggling to be able to do what he used to do. And Miss Paulette, what, what day was her birthday? Saturday? Friday was, her birthday was Friday. She turned 78 years old and is probably healthier than most 78-year-olds who are not in her condition. <laughs> he takes great care of her. And so, um, as, as, you know, just as an example of somebody who promised God he was going to take care of his wife through sickness and in health, <laughs> I, I, don't, I, know, I don't know of a better example of somebody who promise God, I will take care of this woman if you give her to me. And he has absolutely done that. And so if you would pray for him and, um, you know, I'd like to do something for him. I, I don't know what it would be yet, but, um, you know, just, just something thoughtful that would encourage him and, and uh, will sure be a blessing to him. Uh, we, we sure love him and appreciate him. And so um, if, you, if you get a chance, think of something because I'm terrible at those things. And if not, then you're going to leave it to me to figure it out. <laughs> but you can at least pray for him and, and make sure you lift him up in prayer and, and uh, sure thankful for him. So while we enjoyed our time away, we, we kind of like it here. So it's a blessing to get to travel every now and then. But, um, you know, one of the men that I really um, would like to, if, if we can put it this way, tailor my ministry after and, and be like if if um, that's even proper to say, is Ron Ralph. And uh, he preaches a lot. He preaches out a lot. He's, you know, a lot of men want him to come. And he often does one of two things, typically. I mean, he may, there may be more to it, but that I know of. Two, one of two things. It's either a missions conference or a family conference. Those, those are typically the two things that he's called upon to come and preach. And um, he tells everybody, uh, I, he's, he's in Smith County, Tennessee, in Carthage, Tennessee, which is um, just outside of Nashville, um, but it's in the middle of nowhere outside of Nashville. And he says, I love Smith County. I don't care if I ever leave Smith County and go anywhere else. And so, uh, but he does get out and about and preach, and, and, um, and we love it here. And, and while it's exciting to have opportunities to be a blessing to other people when we get a chance, um, we, we like it here. So like to be here. Uh, all right, verses 8 through 15. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Praise the Lord. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. What a, what a statement. I just, that, that, that convicts me continually that he is able to say, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I make mention of you always in my prayers. What a blessing. Making requests, if by any means, now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God 
to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end ye may be established, that is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Let's pray. Father, we sure love you. Thank you for loving us. We thank you for your word and what it does to us and for us and through us. And pray that uh, as we allow it to change us and help us and to build us, that you'd be honored and glorified through it all. It's your word. It's your Holy Spirit. It's uh, you made us. You created us. You saved us. You redeemed us. We 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 owe our all to you, Lord. And pray that you'd help us to live accordingly. And Lord, that your word would change us and build us into the people that you would have us to be. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Now, our topic this morning is going to be out of verse thirteen. Now, I would not have you ignorant, brethren. <laughs> Now, what a, what a blessing God says to his people. Now, it, it, this, what's interesting about this is that the world thinks that we're ignorant. They think we're a bunch of ignorant fools who don't have a clue what we're talking about. But God said, if you stick with my word, you won't be ignorant. Amen. Now, if you, if you abandon my word and you follow after the course of this world, you're going to be following the confusion and every wind of doctrine that's blowing you to and fro and bouncing you all over the place. You're not going to have a, you'll, you'll, you'll leave my word for five years and won't even know what gender you are. I mean, that, that's, that's the wisdom of the world today, is you abandon God's word, and you can go so far into confusion that, that you think you can change your gender on an hourly basis, and we're supposed to take that serious. In fact, in Canada now, it's against the law not to take that serious. In fact, if you, if you, if you were to... Tell someone, if you were to help someone from the word of God with their gender confusion, you will be prosecuted under the law. But if you help confirm their gender confusion, you'll be praised and lauded and, and loved and, and, and brought before the world as a hero. If you're not grounded and rooted in the word of God, you're going to follow that course. You're going to, you're going to, you might think to yourself, I would never. <laughs> a lot of people thought that. But, but they abandoned the word of God. They, they, they didn't spend any time with it and they watched too much television. And then the television became the influence and a certain personality or personalities became the influence. And the next thing they know, so, well, maybe there's something to this. And then they go further, and then they go further, and then they go further. And if it doesn't happen in that generation, by the next generation, you're completely steeped in confusion. God said to you, I would not have you be ignorant. Amen. You are not permitted to be an ignorant fool. Now, how are you going to escape that ignorance? You've got to get in the Word of God. It's not a word of knowledge. You're not going to get it through a dream or a vision. You're not, going to, you're not going to have some miraculous revelation from God outside his word. You've got to spend time in the Bible. Amen. One of the blessings of being a pastor is <laughs> you've got to get in the word of God. Uh, well, I guess you don't have to based on what I hear from a lot of men who claim to be preachers and what, they, what comes out of their mouth when they, when they say that they're preaching. You don't, you don't have to, but if you want to do it in any sort of responsible way and you want to learn the Word of God and you want to teach the Word of God, you've got to study. You've got to read. You've got to get your mind wrapped around these concepts and these ideas so that you can then teach it and expound it to others. And, and so it's a blessing because... I'm either at work with my family or in the Bible. <laughs> now, praise the Lord. But where are you with the Word of God? When do you spend time with the Word of God? When do you spend time escaping ignorance? Or are you just teetering on the edge? I, just spend, I spend just enough time with the Word of God and just enough time with the world to be comfortable with both. Well, eventually that fence... That road is going to split. 
And you're going to follow one or you're going to follow the other. And it's going to be the one that's got your heart, that's got your mind, that's got your attention. And if it splits in a moment when you're not prepared, <laughs> you're, going to, you're going to wake up somewhere wondering, how in the world did I get here? How did I, how did I come to participate in these things? This is something I never thought I would be doing. Well, you didn't think about it. You, you, followed, you followed the course. You followed the wrong course. And God said, I don't want you to be ignorant. Now, the word ignorant is defined, a person untaught or uninformed, one unlettered or unskilled. And repeatedly in the word of God, we are told we are not permitted to be ignorant. We're going to look at several of these today. And, and I mean, if time permitted, there are several more all through the Old Testament and the New Testament of, of God telling his people, you're not allowed to be ignorant. But here's where the problem is. People hear that and they say, okay, well then I'll go to university and get an education. You're, you're going to university and getting an education in ignorance. <laughs> Why would you do that? And you're going to pay a hundred plus thousand dollars to go and learn. You know, it's, it used to blow my mind. We'd stand outside Stetson University, preach the gospel, and you'd have a college university student come and tell you, you can't know anything. You're paying a hundred thousand dollars to have them teach you that you can't know anything? Does that make any sense whatsoever? But that's education today. You can't know anything. Well, how do you know you can't know anything? Well, my college professor said that. How do you know your college professor said that? Then we start playing that game and, and it all falls apart. They have been educated in ignorance. And, and they enjoy it. They think it's a good thing. They think it's a wonderful thing. And, and those are the, that's the future of your country. Those are the future leaders. How do, you, how do you tell someone, how, how, how do you expect someone to make a, a, a reasonable law that's going to protect your rights when they can't know anything? And the, the only things they do know, which they're not supposed to know, because apparently you can't know, is that men can become women and women can become men. And then in the next hour, if you change your mind, you can turn into a smurf, I guess. I don't know what else. You, I don't know what's next. Once you open that door, there's no limit to how far people can go. And if you told a man and a man that they can date and get married, and then you told a man he can turn himself just by speaking it into existence that he can be a woman, then how are you going to tell children in schools today who want a litter box that they're not a cat? Where does it stop? You can't stop it. You, you got this ball rolling, and man, it's about to, it, it, it's about to tear some stuff down. Um, you, you, you are about to reap what you have sown. And, and, and even the people who sowed are going to be looking around like, what have we done? And, and you just you don't know what's coming, but you asked for it. Therefore, we approach life as Christians with the understanding that we escape ignorance by spending ample time in God's Word. When we find a Christian who lives in ignorance, it is evident to us that they spend little or no time in the Bible. And it's, it can't be that simple, right? <laughs> yeah, it's that simple. It is absolutely that simple. The, the Bible has direction for every aspect of your life. You want to be a son, you want to be a daughter, you want to be a husband, you want to be a wife, you, 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 you want to be a father. I mean, whatever aspect of life, you want to be an employee, you want to own a business, you want what, whatever you want to do, the Bible has the instruction on how to do that in a righteous and godly manner. Or you can follow the practices of the men today who, who are, are <laughs> they're a bunch of liars in corporate suits. They do nothing but rob you with a smile on your face, legally. I mean, imagine the idea of insurance. Now, insurance is a good thing, all right? I mean, generally. But how did it become mandated by law? I mean, I, I need to think up a product that I can have mandated by law so that you are forced to buy it whether you want it or not, whether it's a good product or not. The idea of insurance, great idea. What it's become today is a monster that does nothing but suck you dry and then doesn't help you in the end half the time. <laughs> so that, that's, that's the direction the world has gone in. That's where we are, and that's not who we want to be. Now, uh, 
this ignorance that Christians choose to live in, um, it can be escaped by repenting and turning to the Word of God. And it really is that simple. You're like, no, it can't be that simple. It is that simple. That's how it is. That's what it is. You need to get into the Word of God. Now, the Apostle Paul wanted the church at Rome to be knowledgeable of his desire to come to them and to fellowship with them. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Lord dealt with a deficit in their knowledge. He said, you're missing something. And the Apostle Paul is going to lay out in a letter the information that you're missing, and we're going to try to help you out and get you where you need to be. And it's good for men who minister to churches, pastors, missionaries, deacons, whatever, to inform the congregation to whom they are responsible of their intentions. It's also good for the congregation to have a clue what's going on in the ministry of, of those men. It works both ways. Uh, I, 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 my responsibility is here to this church now. There are a few people who support us. I don't know what that's going to look like in the end, if it will be more or less than there is now. We're, we're still waiting to see how all that plays out. So if they continue to support us, I also have some responsibility to them. But they have the same responsibility to find out what's going on here in our lives. You don't get to just throw money at it and then expect me to show up and tell you what's going on. You also need to be actively knowledgeable about what's going on in this ministry and in our lives. Well, as the congregation, I, I'm not going to come knock on your door and find out what's going on in your house. But I want to know generally what's going on with you so we can help or we can pray or we can get involved or do whatever we can to try and keep your life moving in a godly direction. You likewise should also want to know what's going on with Brother Thomas. Where were you yesterday? <laughs> well, for all you know, I was doing something right or not. All right, so we, we, don't, we don't get to live secretive lives completely separate from one another, though we don't need to be all in each other's business. But there should be some general knowledge about our intentions, about our relationship, and, and the direction that we're moving in together. And the Apostle Paul wanted, these church, wanted this church to know, I don't want you to be ignorant of my desire to come and see you. I have tried to come and see you, and it just wasn't working out. So Paul makes the effort to alleviate the church at Rome of their ignorance. And the cure is knowledge from the Word of God. Did you know that him writing a letter telling this church, I long to see you, is Scripture. <laughs> Written under the, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. A man telling a church of his desire to be with them, to impart some spiritual gift, gift to them, his love for them, his concern from them, is scripture recorded in the word of God. And, and we should maintain that same type of mentality. You should know what my desires are for this church and for you here as part of this church. You should also be actively involved. My, my telling you that is not, is not just for the sake of accountability. It should be revelation to you. It should be helpful to you. It should be guidance to you. Now you know the direction we're going. You know what we're going to do together. You know what my intentions are. Now you can find out how you can get involved and be a part of it all. And without that knowledge, you're just kind of in the dark. I don't want you in the dark. I want you in the light. Better in the light. Men love darkness because their deeds are evil. Well, we don't want to stay in the dark. We want to bring things to light. I want to be upfront with you, honest with you, and try and do things in an integral way so that the church moves in a godly direction. And if I don't have the proper intentions or you don't have the proper intentions, then we're going to have strife and trouble somewhere that we don't want. He writes to them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and informs them of his desire to see them. But he has been prevented each time that he tries. Now, Romans 1.13 is not the only place in Romans he addresses some level of ignorance. In two other places in the book of Romans, he addresses someone's ignorance in some format. Look at Romans 10. This is a very interesting passage, very instructive passage that I'll be excited to get to in 10 years. This is sermon number 22 in Romans chapter 1. And I'm okay with that. But... I do look forward to some of the future 
passages we get to study together. Romans 10, verses 1 through 4. Verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God. Now listen, but not according to knowledge. That's a problem. It's great that you're zealous, but at some point you need to bring that zeal in accord under, under the, the, the temperance of knowledge. You get somebody, when I first got saved, I was zealous with no knowledge. Then after about a year, I was zealous with a bunch of knowledge, no empathy, no compassion, no experience. I was going to make you trust Jesus. <laughs> and it didn't go well. All right, so they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant, all right, so if what you're doing is not according to, to knowledge, what is it? It's ignorance. It's unlearned. You don't know what you're doing. You're trying. I appreciate the effort. I appreciate the zeal. The, the zeal is in the right direction. It's just being applied all wrong, and you're going to make a mess of things. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And that's ultimately the problem. I'm, I'm trying to establish, I'm, I'm zealously trying to establish this great righteousness. Well, whose righteousness? You're zealously going after something God told you not to, never told you to go after, and in many ways told you don't go after that. God, God creates a path that is straight and narrow. And when you start jumping off the track because you think you found a better path, what you did was get off the straight and narrow, which he said not to do. But, but yeah, I'm doing, but I'm doing it so sincerely and so genuinely. Yeah, but you're sincerely and genuinely wrong. But I mean well. Great. <laughs> Why don't you not be weary and well-doing in accord with knowledge from the Word of God. That way you're not going about to establish your own righteousness, which is ultimately going to get you in a bunch of trouble in eternity. It's not going to work out. You need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You can't establish your own righteousness. It's not available to you. But look how sincere they are. <laughs> yeah. Will they be that sincere in hell? And so you, 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 verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that what? Believeth. Well, that, this is written about Jews. That just throws a, a monkey wrench in the entire system. We, we have a works-based religion. God gave us as Jews a works-based religion where we go to the temple, we, we give sacrifices, there are all these things that we have to do, and God said, no, trust in Jesus Christ. Well, well, what about the Ten Commandments, and what about the sacrifices? Jesus Christ, the end of the law, he's the last sacrifice, he's the one that counts, he's the one you need. And you're going to get yourself in trouble spiritually if you don't, if you don't abandon your ignorance Again, the zeal is great. It's wonderful. But, it's, but you're, you're zealous from an ignorant perspective, and it needs to be fixed. Jesus Christ is the answer. Why don't you zealously trust him and his word? And, and that's where the difficulty comes in. And when men are ignorant of God's righteousness, they will often set out to zealously establish their own. And they'll be so proud of themselves. <laughs> Adrian Rogers used to say, you know, some of you are proud of how humble you are. <laughs> I mean, it just, it doesn't work. That form of ignorance can condemn you to hell. And, and you don't want to go to hell. You want to escape hell. Romans 11, let's look at it again. Still talking about the Jews. Romans 11, verses 25 through 27. Verse 25, for I would not, brethren... That you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. Now imagine that. We have a term that we use in English. We say, you're, man, you're so conceited. You're so stuck on yourself. You, you, you think you're so great. God just said, don't be wise in your own conceits. 
don't do that. It just that's not gonna that's not gonna go well. That's not what you want to do or where you want to be. Uh, so um, of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Now, from from a dispensational perspective, a rightly dividing perspective, what did God just say? I'm not done with Israel. The church is not Israel. Israel is not the church. A Jew can trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and become part of the church, but the church is not Israel. Israel is not the church. And God just said, my dealings with Israel are on a temporary hold until I'm done with the church. Then I will go back to dealing with, with, with Israel uh, as a nation. All right, so when the, when the fullness of the Gentiles become in, when that's done, then, then I'll go back to dealing with, the, with, with Israel. Verse 26, And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, There shall come out of Sion a deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant unto them, uh, when I shall take away their sins." All right, so the Lord says that there's a mystery here. There are many people, there are many Christians who believe that the church replaced Israel and that now the, the promises God gave to Israel belong to the church. That is completely incorrect. And he's telling you here, I have a mystery that I don't want you to be ignorant of. <laughs> you're, not, you're not Israel. You're the church. And the promises, everything that God gave to Israel, they're going to happen. But right now, everything with Israel is on a pause. They were removed out of their land. When they were removed out of their land, they went under the, the authority of the Gentiles. The Gentiles now rule and reign on this earth. And Israel will, will, will abide many days without a sacrifice, without a king. They're not going to be in their promised land. They're going to be scattered across the earth until I bring them home, tear down Gentile powers, and then establish my kingdom on earth. Now, the time between that, the time from the, from the death of Jesus Christ until the church is called away is the church age. And during that time, God's dealings with Israel are on a complete pause. And then he'll go back to it when, the, when, when it matters, when he's ready. So the Lord has future plans for Israel. And the church did not replace Israel. When the church is taken away, the Lord will return to his dealings with the nation of Israel. He doesn't want you to be ignorant of that fact. And a lot of churches are ignorant of that fact. That's why many men today, you know, when I first got saved in Saudi Arabia, I would listen to Adrian Rogers and Kent Hovind. Those are the two men that, that I found and would listen to. Well, you know, <laughs> Kent Hovind went to prison because he didn't pay his taxes and he thought it was uh, he thought that he had a godly right not to pay his taxes. Jesus paid his taxes. Joseph and Mary went and paid their taxes. Mary was great with child, and somehow they were able to go and pay their taxes and do what they were supposed to do. But somehow Kent Hovind got, you know, exempt from that. I don't, I don't know how he worked that out. Until they came knocking on his door and put him in prison. And then he comes out of prison, and his his... His ministry before prison, he would destroy atheists. I mean, it was so fun to watch. He was excellent at it. He would rip them apart. One time he went against three atheists at one time and just demolished them. He was great at it. When he got out of prison, the new thing that he teaches, it's, it's not you know, going against atheists and creation and all that type stuff that he was really good at. Now he wants you to know that the church is going to go through the tribulation. Well, you know why he teaches that? Because he thinks that the church replaced Israel and that because the church replaced Israel, we're going to go through the tribulation. You can go through the tribulation. Have at it. But I have a blessed hope. And that blessed hope is that I have been saved from the wrath of God and will be called away and taken out before the tribulation begins. If you're a part of the church of Jesus Christ, you also will be taken away and, and, and escape the tribulation. You will not go through the tribulation according to the word of God. But, and God is saying here, I don't want you to be ignorant of this. 
I am not finished with my dealings with the nation of Israel. Not to be confused with the little country in the Middle East today called Israel. That was created by Gentiles. That was not created by God. In the future, God will bring his people back to the promised land. And it won't be just a few people on a little sliver of land. It'll be all of Israel scattered across the world, brought back to the promised land. And then Jesus Christ is going to come establish his kingdom where they will have everything he promised them. And that goes all the way from the Nile River all the way up into Syria. Not, not a little sliver of land on the edge of the Mediterranean Sea. That's, that's not Israel. That's just a tiny piece of it. And so that's God's future for Israel. And so then he continues in the Word of God. He doesn't want you to be ignorant. And the Lord's instruction regarding ignorance runs much broader through God's Word. Uh, it's dealt with repeatedly, but the common theme is that we are not permitted to be ignorant regarding truth in God's Word. When we demonstrate some level of ignorance, it will prove to be neglect of, on our part. Well, I didn't know that, but you were supposed to know that. Well, how would I know? You could read your Bible. And that's where it is. And this idea of a mystery. Did you know that every mystery that God brings up in the Bible is resolved in the passage? He never says, oh, it's a great mystery. Oh, what is it? I don't know. <laughs> no, every single time he tells you, here's a mystery. I'm not done with Israel. That, that's, the re that's, that's the end result of the mystery. I'm revealing to you the mystery and telling you what it is. And so you, anytime you see a book on a shelf that says, you know, mysteries in the Bible, don't buy it. Because it's about to mislead you and take you off into some weird stuff. All right. Every time God used the word mystery in the Bible, he then told you what that mystery was. There's, there's no reason to be confused about it. He doesn't want us to be ignorant. And so we're going to look at a few more places where this word is mentioned and things we're not allowed to be ignorant of. Look at Acts chapter 4. The book of Acts chapter 4, verses 13 through 14. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus and beholding the man which was healed uh, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. And that, that's, that's the reality. All right now, here's the contrast, what we talked about in the introduction. The world is looking at Peter and saying, you? I mean, you didn't go to our universities. You don't have the degree that we have. And this is common today. They'll, they'll bring men on that are contrary to them. And they'll say, what right do you have to say anything about anything, you know, psychological, mental, emotional, any of that? You didn't go to one of our universities. You don't have one of our degrees. We didn't, we didn't train you. So who do you think you are to speak on uh, homosexuality, uh, psychology, mental illness, emotional problems. Who do you think you are? Well, I have a Bible. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not ignorant. I'm not ignorant in knowledge from the man who created people who struggle with those problems. But you are. And you're just stabbing in the dark. And, and, and so they think that because you didn't go through their processes... You didn't go through their universities. You have to be an ignorant fool. Otherwise, you would think they were great and listen to everything they say. And unfortunately, that's not the case. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 4. Verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant... How that all our fathers were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the, that, the, the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So, the Lord doesn't want you to be ignorant that Jesus Christ is the God of the Old Testament. When they drank of that spiritual rock, when, they, when all that happened, it was about Jesus Christ. Uh, some of the passages in Corinthians go on to talk about how they tempted Christ in the Old Testament. Well, did they tempt God or did they tempt Christ? 
Yes. He's both. All right, now, was Jesus Christ physically present in the flesh in the Old Testament? No. But he is the eternal God that they were dealing with in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And God says, I don't want you to be ignorant of that. You need to know that. Jesus didn't just appear one day out of nowhere. He didn't come from nothingness and begin to exist. He's God. And when you're dealing with that man in a body of flesh, you're dealing with the eternal God. And you need to know that and, and not be ignorant of that. Look at chapter 12. We'll look at another one. Verses 1 through 7. Now concerning spiritual gifts, oh boy, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. This, there are probably more books written about this idea than anything else. I mean, maybe prophecy and, and that type of stuff beats this. But this is a common theme of what are my gifts? What, did, what, are, what are the spiritual gifts? What do I, you know... Uh, somebody told us the other day what their, their love language was. I'm, like, what? <laughs> I'm not sure that I need to know that. <laughs> but whatever, I mean, that's, that's, people are into, into what they're into. So I would not have you ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. And that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administration, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. And so what the Lord is saying here is... I got a lot of people and a lot of places, and they're going to do things differently. And Baptist churches hate that. You need to do it the way I do it, or I can't fellowship with you. And, you know, there is a measure of that in the Bible, but nowhere near as much as we make it out to be. And, and so Baptist churches will divide over just about anything at any time if they don't like it. And, and rather than being divisive, the Lord would continually have us, have us to be far more inclusive than we would be comfortable with. And he said, did you know that I have different churches and they, they're going to do things differently? Now, I'm not telling you that a Roman Catholic church is right and that it's okay to go to a Roman Catholic church. That's not what I'm telling you. If you're going to a Bible-believing church who teaches the Word of God, well, they're, they're going to do some things differently than, than other churches. On deputation, we would go from church to church, and we're like, oh, that's how y'all do things here? <laughs> that's, that's weird. <laughs> but that's how they do it. And sometimes we would see it and we'd say, wow, that's a blessing. That's great. And sometimes we'd see it and we'd say, why? <laughs> why do you do it that way? <laughs> And, and now it's not up to me to go to the pastor and say, you know, we need to talk. We can't be here, and I'm not going to accept your support unless you fix this little detail about the administration of your church. Who, who am I? What that pastor is going to say is, oh, you can't be here? Okay, goodbye. <laughs> Head down the road. All right, now, if there is something that could be improved or could be fixed, it's still not my place to come in and correct that pastor. But if I go in and I respect him and gain friendship with him, then over time there's a chance that I could be some sort of influence and be helpful to him. But if I just walk in the door like, I'm here. I'm the Baptist arbiter of all truth. And you need to listen to me and rearrange everything in your church based on my direction. That's not happening. It's divisive. And we can't get along with our own brethren because we don't like the way they do things. All right now, there are some things we should probably be upset about. And those things we will get upset about when the time comes. But there are lots of things we get upset about that we should not. We shouldn't care about. Maybe you don't like it. But did you know that if you don't like something, it doesn't mean that it's ungodly? It may have no connection to godliness whatsoever. You just don't like it. There are lots of things that I don't like, and they still happen. <laughs> Nobody checked with me and asked me, Brother Thomas, what do you think about this? And, and that, that's just how it is, and some things we need to just get over. And God said, I would not have you ignorant. I gave gifts to all men who trusted in me, and I expect them to exercise those gifts, but they're going to do it differently. 
They're not all going to do it the same way, the same time, the same place. There's going to be some variance. There's going to be some differences. And, and you need to just get over it because it pleases God. And, and my opinion doesn't matter. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 and four, through 14. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with them. Now, the Lord said, there is going to be a future resurrection. And I don't want you to be ignorant of that future resurrection. And, and so what, what people in, at Thessalonica were saying is, well, what about the people who already died? And God said, those two. <laughs> well, how are you going to put their bodies back together? I'm God. I formed it from the dust in the first place. So when it returns to the dust, I can just put it back together again. It's not going to be a problem. All right, so if you're alive in Christ, then you will be called up to meet with him in the air. If you die in Christ, you will be resurrected and stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ and be judged based on how you lived your life as a Christian. All right, so God said, I don't want you to be ignorant of this fact. There will be a resurrection. And, 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 and the, the way you know there's going to be a resurrection is this. Did Jesus Christ rise from the dead? If he did, then so are you. If he didn't, you are yet in your sins and you have no hope. So if Christ rose from the dead, as the Bible says, as God says, then you are going to rise from the dead. All right? so, so the Lord has all that worked out and we don't, we don't need to be concerned about it. And then our final stop, 2 Peter chapter 3. This is a fun, loving passage. 2 Peter chapter 3. Verses 1 through 13. Verse 1. This second epistle, beloved, I now, uh, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this for, first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Now that is a big mistake to make. And that is exactly what atheists think. You keep telling us every year that Jesus is coming back, and he hasn't come back. Everything remains the same. Well, that is true. He hasn't come back, and so far everything has remained the same. But he is coming. And you want to be prepared for that coming. You don't want to take for granted the grace and the space and the long-suffering God has given you. You're mocking God for not coming back sooner rather than later. What that means is God has given you more time to get things right. And you don't want him to shorten that time. If you're not right, now if you're right with God, praise the Lord, come on. <laughs> I, I have no problem with it. Uh, my only hope is that my children, we can confirm that they are saved before he comes back uh, because they know too many things and I'm afraid that they might be accountable. <laughs> now, my daughter says that she's saved. We don't encourage it. We just listen and, and we'll see. And I hope she is. But that's my only concern. Other than that, come on. My soul is saved. My wife's soul is saved. As far as I know, your souls are saved. We're going to be with the Lord. Amen. So um, you, you want to be careful what you ask for, especially as a lost person. Well, where is he? Well, when he shows up, it's not going to be good for you. Okay. So trust him now and then ask, where is he? <laughs> Verse Verse 5, for this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old. All right, now the heavens, there are three heavens. There's the first heaven, which is our sky, the second heaven, which is what we call the universe, and then the third heaven where God the Father sits. 
the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Now, you notice he said the heavens were of old. How old did he say they were? He didn't. So any guesses at the age of the earth would be nothing more than a guess. All right, so when somebody comes and tells you how old the earth is, you can know for certain they're lying. <laughs> God was there when he made it. They were not. And so he, he knows how old it is, and he didn't tell us. So praise the Lord. Standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was. Okay, and here's another concept. If there is a world that then was, that means that there, there are more than one worlds on the earth or have been more than one worlds on the earth. So there was a world that got destroyed by a flood and then a new world was created. So when God says something like Christ died before the foundation of the world, which world? There are multiples of them. There's about six or seven noted in the Bible. So you want to be very careful. What people do is they say before the foundation of the world means before the earth was created. The world and the earth are not the same thing. The Bible says God created the earth as the foundation and then set the world on the pillars of the earth. So the world and the earth are not the same thing. You don't want to confuse the two. They, they are very dis, they are distinctly different. And so when God talks about worlds or the world or multiple worlds or the world that then was, then what that means is throughout biblical history, there have been multiple worlds that started and ended. And we'll get into all that in the future. You just let it bounce around in your brain and fall out if, if it's too much for you. I understand it's, it's a little different, but I'll show you. Not right now. We don't have the time. It's not our topic. And just, I just whet your interest. How about that? Amen. <laughs> for this they willingly are ignorant of that, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water whereby, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. So the old world, the, the, this world it's talking about, it perished. It no longer exists. It died. It was killed. Who put it to death? God. <laughs> He destroyed it, all right, overflowed with water, perished, but the heavens and the earth, which are now, all right, so there was a world that then was, and then something new came out of all that, the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men, but, beloved, be not ignorant. Now, here's, there's two Sources of ignorance so far in our passage. Number one, scoffers are willingly ignorant. They will completely ignore the facts while telling you that the reason they don't believe God is because of the facts. <laughs> All right, now, th what that means is I can pre present you with evidence, but you're going to deliberately and willingly uh, hold that evidence in unrighteousness so that, it, so, that it, so that you can purposefully make it fit your worldview because you don't want to believe in God. Not because you don't believe in God. You chose not to. Everybody comes into the world with light. Everybody comes into the world believing in God. And then they have to be educated out of that or make a choice to abandon that knowledge. Now, the second one is us, beloved. Now, scoffers are willingly ignorant. You don't get to be willingly ignorant. We don't get to be ignorant. All right, now, God says, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering. Don't mock God. Where's he at? He's not coming. No, you want to be careful. You want to be thankful for his long-suffering. You want to be thankful for his patience. You want to be thankful for his grace, for his mercy, and you keep running your mouth like that, he might show up. And you're going to be in serious trouble. You think you want God to show up and show you something, but when it's time for God to physically show you, it's going to be far too late for you. You're going to be standing before a great white throne. 
And it's going to be time for judgment. And you're going to wish you had not been willingly ignorant. You're going to wish you had chosen to believe God, which is your choice to make. But is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any, any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Well, why is God taking so long? Because he wants you to have time to repent. And you want to rush him. You think you want to rush him. You're asking for something. You're about to write a check that you can't cash. And you want to back off that. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come. It will come. All right, now, he's long-suffering. Praise the Lord. And he's patient. Praise the Lord. But that day is coming. And you better be prepared. And if you're not prepared... That all this destruction that he's talking about, you keep saying the world's the same, nothing's changed, everything just continues as it is. No, I destroyed one world. You think I won't come do it again? And when I do, I'm going to wipe all this out and I'm going to create a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And if righteousness dwells there, you can't. Not if you're a scoffer who's rejected God. Now, I've trusted in Jesus Christ. I have the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which means I get to live in the new heaven and the new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Not because of my own righteousness, but because I trusted in the Lord and he gave me his righteousness in exchange for that. That's where you want to be when Jesus comes back. You don't want to be a lost soul scoffing and making fun of the Lord when he shows up. It's not going to go, go, go well for you. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. That's called global warming. On an intense scale. So what that means is global warming is not going to happen before then. The earth is not going to burn up before God burns it up. He wrote in his word... I'm going to burn it. <laughs> like, well, let's save the earth. For what? God's going to burn the whole thing down in the end anyways. And then he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And so, so you're, you're fighting the wrong battle. Verse 11, seeing then that all things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Yeah. How about that? Let's save the earth. Now, won't you learn to be godly? Before God burns it all down, why don't you learn how to act in a godly manner before God burns everything to the ground? And so the Lord is going to come back and deal with these things on his own. Uh, what, manner of, uh, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. God said, I don't want you to be ignorant of this future. This is what's coming. So when man comes along and they say, the whole earth, which they don't say it anymore. They, I noticed they backed off this. They, they know that the whole earth is going to be burned up in 12 years. Well, that was about four years ago they started saying that. So we got eight years left. Except that nobody says that anymore. Do you know where they got that idea? From a computer model. Now, a computer model can be very interesting. It can help you determine possible future events. Possible. But do you know what it, what it requires to give you an outcome? Information. And so whatever information you put in... It's going to take that information and give you an outcome. And so people who want you to be terrified gave their computer models the information they needed for it to produce an outcome that would scare you into giving up your rights and your money and your government and your sovereignty and all those things that we enjoy as Americans. And that will, when they collapse, will cause them to come after you as Christians. And nobody bought <laughs> 
Nobody said, really, you think that... I mean, what we used to call those things, we used to call those things cults. <laughs> you think the world's going to end in 12 years? You're crazy. Something's wrong with you. Stop drinking the Kool-Aid. <laughs> and they don't. They, they, they're on the bandwagon, and they can't see why you're not. And the reason I'm not is because I'm not an ignorant brethren. I know what the Word of God says. You tried to sell me an idea that was contrary to the Word of God. You say the earth is going to burn up in 12 years. God said, when I return, I'm going to dissolve it all. I'm going to melt it with a fervent heat. I'm going to dissolve the elements. Not you. So I'll just wait for God. And if what you have to say is in accord with the Word of God, then maybe there's something to it. But till then, I'm just going to trust God, and I'm not going to be ignorant of his word. I'm going to try to know what it says and abide by it so that when crazy people show up saying the world's going to end in 12 years, I can say, no, we're not, we don't drink Kool-Aid here. Sorry. We're not going to move down to South America and set up a compound with you. No, not going to happen. Um, we, we don't do those things here. So ignorance is a choice, just as obedience is a choice. Oh, Amen. Nobody got excited about that. <laughs> you can choose to be obedient. You can choose to be ignorant. The Lord instructed us to be knowledgeable and to allow the, that knowledge from God's word to guide us, ground us, and steady us through, through this life. Moving forward in ignorance for the Christian is disobedience. If you are ignorant of God's word, you are unprepared to face this world. You are unprepared to please God. And you're going to stumble. The answer to remove ignorance is knowledge. Learn the word of God and you remove the ignorance. It really is that simple. And Paul wrote to this church at Rome and said, I don't want you to be ignorant. I want to help your ignorance. Would you let somebody help your ignorance? Or do you want to stay there? It's up to you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us, being so good to us. Lord, we sure thank you for your word. And uh, Lord, we, you, you said very clearly that you have confounded the wisdom of this world. And the more we study your Bible, the more we see that is true. Uh, but the hostility this world uh, and, and continually shows towards people who try and cling to your word is, is increasing at a rapid rate. And uh, we sure pray you'd help us. The Lord Jesus prayed for us and uh, asked the Father to protect us from the evil. We just pray that you'd continue to do so and help us uh, uh, to make good choices based on your word so that we don't get ourselves into trouble. And uh, Lord, to run to you and run to your word for refuge every step of the way. And pray that you'd be well pleased with us and teach us how. And we'll sure thank you for it. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.